0: I want to provide that visibility for folks who are non-binary who do want to participate in sport and help them, you know, acknowledge that there is a place for them. And it really helped me as well once I really identified and embraced my non-binary identity, it allowed me when I show up at a start line now, like I know who I am. I know that I don't fit in, but I know why. And I know that it's okay.
1: Welcome to the Channel Mastery Podcast. If you're a specialty business and brand leader obsessed with understanding what the most effective channels are today to connect with, serve, and sell to your target consumers, then you've just found the perfect podcast and community. My name is Kristen Carpenter, and I'm your host and the founder of Verde Brand Communications, the presenting sponsor of Channel Mastery. Verde created the Channel Mastery podcast to level the playing field for the specialty brands we serve. Every week on this show, we study how consumer preferences are changing and the evolving channels they like to use to engage with their favorite brands. Once again, welcome to Channel Mastery and subscribe today. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Channel Mastery Podcast. I am so excited to have two guests on today for you. I have Diamondback's Director of Marketing, Jill Nazir. Welcome to the show, Jill.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Yep. And I have pro athlete Rach McBride. Welcome to the show, Rach. Thanks. It's great to be here. And we are going to talk about a range of conversation points. Literally, it's I can't frame it up in one single, you know, outcome, but just know. You will come out of this feeling more empowered to use your brand as a vehicle for positive change. I think that is really where we're all hoping this will net out. And there's some great case studies, beautiful face plants, all kinds of things we're going to share today. (laughs) But let's start by having Rach give us the fantastic story of how they have become a pro athlete a little bit later in life and, and what that journey has been like. And then we'll take the conversation from there.
0: Yeah, sure. So, you know, I grew up uh, in an athletic family, and I did some sports as a kid and as a teen, but I really quit everything for about a decade for the majority of my 20s, and was like a smoker and, you know, was much more interested in, you know, the music scene and late nights and that sort of thing. And ended up you know, just needing a change and started running and ran a marathon and qualified for Boston in my first marathon. And then at the age of 32, which was just a couple of years later, or sorry, at the age of 28, did my first triathlon and absolutely loved it. And it took over my life. And I was like, you know, I was still in my late twenties. Team Canada had someone in their thirties who was on the Olympic team. So I was like, oh, great you know maybe i'll take a shot at the olympics um, but i was just a terrible swimmer not good enough for the olympics and then at 32 did my first full distance race and uh, or a half ironman and you know won it by 24 minutes and placed in a time that would have put me top 10 in the world and i thought you know what i'm not getting any younger it's time to take this athletic dream and make it a reality, and so went full time, and that was ten years ago. And I've been
1: living the dream since then. Yeah, that's remarkable and so inspiring to people who are of a respectable age and love to do amateur athletic events as well. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, you're a Diamondback athlete, and um, that's a brand I personally have grown up with. And Verde is so happy to work with and. That's another just really important part of the conversation here. So let's talk about the, I think it was probably a bit of a pivot within your athletic career when you were able to identify as your true self, a non-binary athlete, pro athlete, first in the triathlon community, now more recently in gravel. So can you talk about what that was like for you stepping into that and becoming, I think, a pioneer in many respects?
0: Yeah, I mean, truly my gender journey started when I was super super young and it's been something that I have lived with for 42 years now. So it's always been a part of me and it's it's been like more or less visible or more or less out throughout this journey as an adult. And what I finally recognized that in sport and dealing with such a binary in sport, I really got to a point where I felt like something was missing, that I, I knew that when I showed up at a start line, I did not feel like I fit in, and I couldn't put my finger on it. And I started having more and more conversations around gender and how I really, and more true and honest conversations and self-reflection about who I really was. And because I had incredible sponsors like Diamondback, who We're just supportive and like, be yourself, Rach. Like, we just want you to be yourself. It gave me the confidence along with a really supportive community and family to finally, you know, it's like it was part admitting to myself, but also the rest of the world who I really was, identifying as non-binary, identifying and using they, them pronouns and you know, COVID really allowed me the space to fully explore that and fully like be myself as a non-binary athlete and allowed me to have, you know, all of these conversations with the public and on different podcasts and in different media outlets and to start working with the companies and the sponsors to try and make change, to try and, you know, I want to be I want to provide that visibility for folks who are non-binary who do want to participate in sport and help them, you know, acknowledge that there is a place for them. And it really helped me as well. Once I really identified and embraced my non-binary identity, it allowed me when I show up at a start line now, like I know who I am. I know that I don't fit in, but I know why. And I know that it's okay.
1: There are so many amazing things that we're going to get into here today, and one of them is using a brand as a vehicle for positive change. Your personal brand and your journey to embrace and identify as you truly authentically are is going to create a model that you didn't have growing up in your life. And think about also the support of your sponsors like Diamondback really giving you like that platform or adding additional visibility to your platform and you know, working with you so closely. And we're going to talk about one of those great initiatives in the gravel scholarship here in a minute with Diamondback specifically. But can you talk a little bit about just the sense of like emotional connection and responsibility probably that you have becoming that mentor for people that you didn't have? I mean, I feel like everybody needs permission on certain facets of their life. Uh, Maybe your sponsors gave you a little bit of that. I'm not sure. But I know that you, as a pro, are going to give that to so many people going forward.
0: Yeah, and that's what really keeps me motivated because what I recognized when I finally started going back to racing, the few races that we had last year, I started to, because I had kind of come out as non-binary in this vacuum of COVID and going back into the real binary world of sport, I recognized just how hard it was going to be, just how often I was going to continue to be misgendered. And so it's hard. It's really challenging. And it wears me down. But the messages that I get and the support that I get from people who are like me, who are non binary athletes who see that, or who are parents of kids who are non binary or trans and who are reaching out and providing that like positive feedback of like, Rach, what you are doing is changing lives. And it's incredible. Like, I never, never, ever thought that I would be able to have such an impact and such a platform. And I am so grateful. I'm so grateful for sport and I am so grateful. To the companies and the people who support me. It's just, it's unbelievable. And I never, ever, ever thought that I could be this kind of change maker. And it's really for me creating what I feel like is my legacy in this sport. And that means
1: so much. Oh, that is so inspiring. So, Jill, you must be so inspired. So, let's talk about the impetus of the Gravel Scholarship and how you worked with Rach to get that across the line last year and what the future of that looks like.
2: Yeah. So, um, you know, we in the bike industry, you know, we start making marketing plans a year or two ahead of time because bikes take so long to make. And we're always, you know, looking forward and thinking ahead. And so a couple of years ago, you know, I had been talking to Rach And Rach was racing gravel more, you know, triathlon is obviously, you know, Rach's first and foremost, but you know, as gravel was kind of growing a little, Rach was starting to race and gravel a little. And Rach made a comment to me kind of casually, you know, not even asking for anything, but just made the statement of, you know, I go to these races and I don't, I don't really see a lot of women there or like anyone who's, you know, not male. And I thought, well, That's a shame, you know. Obviously, we know that there's less women in cycling, but you know, in gravel, which is kind of to me, you know, this very up and coming sport, you would think that you know people of all kinds would maybe be a little more interested in it. I I was like, well, that that seems like a miss, and I thought about, you know, is there something we could do about that? And you know, starting out, I thought, okay, maybe we could do like a women's gravel scholarship. You know, we could have a contest and people write a little essay and they get a bike and maybe some other items from Rach's other very generous sponsors. And at the time we thought, you know, maybe even give them a race entry to something and, you know, tips for training and all this way to support the winner in becoming a gravel racer. And so then, you know, eight months go by and it's about time to really like put this plan into action And there was a lot more talk, you know, Rach had been doing a lot more interviews about being a non-binary athlete. And there was a lot more conversation in general from some other trans and non-binary athletes about how we talk about, you know, gender in sport, how we can be inclusive in our language. And I felt like calling it a women's gravel scholarship no longer felt right. You know, it was just a gut feeling. And so I went to Rach and I said, you know, Of course, wonderful to encourage women, but that doesn't seem like that's the only goal anymore. And I asked Rach, you know, what's the best way I can phrase this so it sounds inclusive to all people? And Rach was very generous and gave me suggestions. And at no point did Rach ever say, please do this. You know, Rach educated me and answered the question and said, whatever you feel is best, I think this is an awesome first step. And I really appreciated that as a marketer. And so I took that into account. And so this past year, we opened up our women's, trans, non binary gravel scholarship. Everybody was welcome to apply. We had almost 200 entries, which I was so thrilled about. And um, I narrowed it down. I sent some of the final ones to Rach. I think we all really struggled with who to pick. You know, trying to pick one person was was truly, truly a challenge. And I mean, we picked an amazing winner named Hannah. Hannah is a member of the Naval Academy and is on the Navy tri team and is also starting to get into gravel. So, you know, we did not Perfect. pick her because she had a similar story to Rach. just, she just, you know, she's awesome. And, you know, of course racing didn't happen this year, but, you know, Hannah still got her bike and all of her other wonderful prizes. And so, you know, she sends me videos of her riding her bike and it's just so cool to see it, you know, out and knowing that one more person's gonna be on the gravel scene because of it. And so I'm just really excited about it. And I hope that, you know, every year we can continue to grow this program and really turn it into something big.
1: That's amazing. And I, what I love about that too is the fact that you're being so fluid and the fact that it wasn't a set and forget, right? Um, and the message is progress over perfection, you know, it's, it's okay to maybe have some course correcting or to try and fail. Not that this was a fail in any way, but I think that that is something that hampers people who are used to being like, okay, I'm spending my brand's money. I really want it to go well. And I understand how to do this, right? And what we're asking here today is be open to trying new things. We have an incredibly special opportunity right now with a a lot of people either falling back in love with cycling or potentially discovering it for the first time and wanting to belong in some way to this wonderful community of the bike, okay? (laughs) So really the message and the takeaway is just, I think, fight for calculated risk-taking and know that like when you make an effort, Everybody's going to have a, an opinion, and that's what is so beautiful about being a cyclist. <laughs> but at the same time, like the only way we can create um, a more welcoming environment for everybody is to enable us to, as brand leaders, to feel like it's okay to try and fail or to not be perfect. And I guess on that note, Rach, I would love to ask you to talk about your view on um, what I have traditionally said in a, you know, more of a binary way. If she can see it, she can be it. I've said that on so many podcasts. And I feel like what you've enlightened me to through the research for the show and our rehearsal was it's way, way, way bigger than that. It's even like bigger than if they can see it, they can be it. Like talk a little bit about what your view is in terms of like how you as a pro athlete are now starting to see. You know the role that you have, and how brands have this enormous opportunity to um, present a different brand profile, veneer, etc., to their audiences to enable them to feel like they could come in and be part of this brand that they love.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the, for example, the Gravel Scholarship and what came out of that was a perfect example of like this person, Hannah, got this new bike and. Hannah put 300 miles on that bike in the first month, and which is unbelievable. And th- she had never ridden on gravel before, and put 300 miles on it. And not only is Hannah posting on social media about this and like showing adventures on gravel, but all of the people that she's with in her community there—it's like another female-bodied person on a gravel bike doing their thing, and that it's that butterfly effect, right? And so I think that it's really important, like just a small thing like that gravel scholarship, the giant impact that it can make in, the, in terms of visibility and, you know, for companies to actively seek out individuals who are making a difference, who may not look like the rest of their athletic community or encourage, you know, it's like, yeah, Hannah was not in the gravel community and now Hannah is in the gravel community. And to, you know, I think in my mind, really the important thing for companies to do is to take that initiative, to reach out to their community, to reach out to folks who are visible like myself and others about like, hey, what's important? Like, what is it that you think is going to make an impact? And what do you want to see? Like, where are there holes in how we are presenting ourselves that we can do better? And I think the asking questions is really important. The recognizing that you're going to make mistakes. People misgender me all the time and I correct them. I'm not mean about it. It's really simple. And, you know, it's it's recognizing that you're not going to be perfect. You know, I'm not perfect. Nobody is perfect. Companies are not perfect. And if we make a mistake, what are we supposed to do? We apologize and we learn from it. And it's the same sort of thing. And I think really being public about actively, like as a company, actively wanting to learn and showing what you are doing to learn and how you are learning is really important.
1: That's a perfect segue for you, Jill, and the People for Bike subcommittee that you're on, if I said that correctly. Can you talk about the impetus for that and your role there and how you're helping brands do exactly what Rach is talking about?
2: Yeah. So People for Bikes is really taking charge and taking awesome initiative to create several subcommittees. They're, you know, doing sustainability and there's also a DEI subcommittee. So I'm going to be serving on that subcommittee. I'm very excited. And they've talked to us, you know, about our goals as brands. They're not just coming in and saying, okay, this is the three things we're working on. You know, they've reached out to each of us individually and we've had You know, an hour long conversation about what do we want to talk about? And of course, racial equality and that conversation is very big right now, especially in the bike industry. But we can't forget about the gender conversation either. And that, yes, more women cycling is a great conversation to have and it's still an important conversation, but that it's also no longer just men and women. You know, we need to really talk about all genders and all people and making them feel safe on bikes and, you know, the bike companies are going to make bikes and they're going to sell bikes, but we're not really doing everything we can if we're not also supporting a community of cyclists feeling safe and included. And so that's, you know, what we're going to all work together on and honestly, you know, we're a smaller to mid-sized brand. I'm really excited to work with some of the other bigger brands or the other brands that are smaller like us to work together in this because everyone's got a different perspective. Everyone has different budgets they work with toward this cause. And I'm just excited that all of us get to work together on this topic.
1: And how long has that subcommittee been in play?
2: So they're kind of just starting it. I've only recently joined the committee, so we're going to be, you know, meeting every month and setting out goals and having those conversations and you know, I th- I think People for Bikes is a great organization to lead this conversation. They have such a great viewpoint into the business side of things, the advocacy side of things, the political side of things, and then, you know, the community itself. So I'm really thrilled. I think it's going to be just an awesome opportunity for everybody to get involved.
1: They are doing incredible things. I wanted to go back, Rach, if you're okay with this, to your transition from triathlon to gravel. I had just so much fun researching your athletic career. And I know that, I don't know if this is still the case, but one of the things I watched this morning was that you actually have won every gravel event that you've entered. Is that correct? Uh Well, I've gotten knocked off of my spot uh, in that it. one, but I've won
0: all but two <laughs> now and I was second place in the other two. So yeah, I, uh, I definitely have had some, a lot of success from the very beginning, which is probably one of the reasons why I really love it is because I was good at it. But
1: yeah, I need to still bump up my ratio again of uh,
0: wins to second places. <laughs>
1: And my hope is you'll have a lot of opportunity to do that this year. I understand you're going to be at Unbound as well as Trans Rockies Gravel Royale, which are two events that Verde works with. So we're super excited to support you there. But tell us what are your favorite aspects of gravel? Because when you fall in love with a sport like triathlon, you obviously love the process of training, <laughs> refining yourself in three sports. Um, but I'm curious to know, like, what, how did you transition from triathlon to gravel. Not that you're not doing triathlon anymore, I'm assuming, but I'm so curious to know like what hooked you with gravel.
0: Well, you know, here in BC we have some incredible gravel roads. And a place that I have been going regularly to train has actually a lot of the road rides were gravel as well. So I would be riding my road bike on these gravel roads and that was just part of training. And once um I think it was 2013, this gravel race came on my radar in Oregon, and it looked really hard and really fun. And so we went down and and did it. And it was like, that was it. I was on a cyclocross bike, I think, for that race, because gravel bikes were not a thing at that time. And I just fell in love with it. I really, really loved it. I loved the grassroots nature of it. I loved the it was just like a real kind of like when I had started triathlon, I did all of the local races. I went to like all the small little sprints and little Olympic races all over BC and really enjoyed it and really enjoyed that kind of more community and like family sort of feeling that it has. And once you kind of climb the ranks of triathlon, you lose that sort of grassroots feel. And the gravel racing really brought me back to that. I remember at that race, there was actually this little boy with autism who I think was about seven years old and he had a newsletter that he put out and I got interviewed for his newsletter and I got a copy of the paper interview, his newsletter in the mail and there's a picture of us. And it was just so fun and so neat to be a part of. And a lot of these gravel races, you get a free beer at the end, which like when's the last triathlon you had a free beer at the end. Um, And just that like community feel and the fact that you're out in nature and I love being out in the wild. I love it so much.
1: Mm-hmm. That, I think, in terms of the influx of newcomers into a lot of different facets of cycling, you're hitting on a key point that we're really hoping more and more people can get it off the Peloton and bring it outside, which is the wellness that being outside and exploring provides. And gravel is like nothing else in that in that regard. Like it's not regulated yet, although we are seeing a lot of athletes are becoming represented by agents and like the, we're seeing little bits and pieces like migrate that way. But I think that the heart and soul of it is so strong and it is, it's such like a great equalizer in terms of different disciplines of cycling that I'm really hopeful. And I'm sure Jill is as well, because she's nodding her head that it will stay grassroots and that we can all feel part of it. Yeah, I
2: I agree. I had the same experience as Rach. I was originally a triathlete because I'm from the Midwest and, you know, gravel wasn't really a thing out there. And it's true that that community feel was there and it kind of got a little bit lost and, you know, being further out west now where we can climb mountains and all of that it's just awesome to see this community growing and and as an industry you know we're seeing you know if we had to find a silver lining to a pandemic certainly it's that more people are out riding and more people are seeking out getting further away from home you know
1: absolutely as we were rehearsing you both brought up with i think a lot of passion like the notion of intersectionality It doesn't necessarily have to be about gravel, but I sure would love to hear both of your takes on like, if you had a way to reach the industry, which we hope will grow into a community because industry has been traditionally kind of a little bit of a, not everyone's invited, right? (laughs) But if we're looking at this, like how, how can you explain the importance of intersectionality to brand leaders and to company leaders who are listening right now?
0: Well, you know, I felt, you know, going back to Jill's story about the Gravel Scholarship and how it started out as a women's scholarship and, you know, that feeling that she had of something being a little off, I thought was was really important because my first thought in that was that, you know what, if I see a company just focusing on like women something and not recognizing the other aspects of gender and other aspects that play into our identities and life, that company's a step behind. Like this is what the world is right now is understanding that we all have these different experiences and different identities that play a role and that are all important, be it race, class, gender, ability, it's so important to see people as these wholes and not kind of have these like individual little communities that you're targeting towards. And, you know, I think especially in this context in right now where things feel so divided in a lot of ways that what the focus really needs to be on of like, how are we similar? Like, how are we all together? And if we use all of those identities there's usually something in somebody, you know, around us that we can also identify with and it connects us as a community. And it also helps us feel recognized, validated
1: as like who we are. I love that. Jill, would you like to add to that?
2: Yeah. I would just say to add to that point that we're very lucky that we as a brand have worked with Rach for a while, you know, and I I recognize that not all brands happen to Already have in their sponsored athlete family someone that they can just easily call to run an idea past or to educate them. And, you know, so I've definitely seen how hard it is for other marketers. We talked a little earlier about you're afraid of saying something wrong. And it's hard to imagine that the consumer is going to be forgiving of a mistake. And really, as a brand, you know, you want to be as perfect as you possibly can. And there are times I am up at night obsessing over the copy I'm writing because I'm so worried that I might be saying something that isn't perfect. And, you know, to Rachel's point, we do need to start reaching out further than where we have before to be educated or to get feedback or even to just, you know, reach out to a community group and say, Hey, we're not exactly sure what we're doing, but we really want to work together. Like, let's help each other out. And, you know, I think that taking this step is important and knowing it's probably not going to always be perfect.
1: Yep. I agree. Perfection is bullshit. I'm just going to say it for all of us. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Obviously we had some cancellations just a few in 2020, Rach, what's on your race radar? And I know it might be aspirational still at this point.
0: Oh, gosh, yeah, I'm feeling very, very challenged this year. Last year was easy with the cancellations. It's like everything was just canceled. No problem. This year is 10 million times more challenging because the world is in such flux. Who knows what's going to happen? Who knows what races are going to happen? You know, being up in Canada, if I leave the country, I've got a 14-day quarantine to think about, which is fine at the end of the year when I don't need to be training. But if it's in the middle of a season, it's another story. So, you know, my big goals from 2020 have just shifted into 2021, which are mostly triathlon focused. So going sub nine hours at Challenge Roth and then having a good race in Kona at the Ironman World Championships which I'm already qualified for and then otherwise it's kind of about what else is going on and what's actually going to happen and the great thing about gravel is that a lot of these races are happening because you know you can have time trial starts or they're just smaller races in general and they they can still put them on with smaller numbers you know I did a couple of gravel races last year I've yeah, I signed up for the lottery for Unbound. I um, just registered for Trans Rockies, which I'm super excited about and know that I'll probably be doing big sugar at the end of the year. And so those are kind of like the most certain, but the gravel racing is the most certain things I think that I have right now on my calendar.
1: That's awesome. Well, I feel like this is a perfect place. You've been so generous with your time, both of you, for us to wrap up. But before we do, is there anything you would like to say to our amazing audience on this topic, or do you think we've kind of touched on everything? Sort of an endless topic in a lot of ways.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think we really covered a lot, and I'm always open to answer questions and to get feedback. Um, I'm really accessible on social media, so I'm really happy if anyone wants to reach out for my thoughts or opinions or to discuss anything. And um, yeah, I mean, I think the bottom line that I just want to put out there is to just be curious. I think that is one of the most important things. Yeah, be curious about, about those around you.
1: Yep. Tell us your most accessible social media handle? Instagram's probably most accessible and I'm at
0: Rachel McBee. R
1: A C H E L McBee. Okay. And obviously we have diamondback.com and everything is located in terms of social media. And you can see their beautiful gravel bikes right on the front page. I'm looking at them right now. <laughs> I can on the wait. front
2: is, is Rachel's bike. You'll see it on their account too.
1: <laughs> That's beautiful. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much. This has been absolutely amazing. I'm so grateful for both of your insights and your time. And uh, I'm just super inspired by all of this. So thank you so, so much. Thank you. So great. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. If you're finding value in the Channel Mastery Podcast, and I certainly hope you are, I'd love to ask that you subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, as well as rate and review the show on iTunes. Doing so helps more people discover the content, more specialty business and brand leaders can be helped by the incredible resources we're offering every week on the show. I also would like to invite you to join our community at channelmastery.com or verdepr.com. Sign up with your email and you'll receive special resources and content created just for friends of the podcast. You'll also receive advanced notice of new channel mastery trainings and offerings. Thanks for listening and see you next week.